Hi everyone, it's Jenny here, your host of Sensory Matters, and today I'm joined again by the lovely Lorraine and Katie. Morning, ladies. Hello, hello. Morning. How are we all? Good, a bit sniffy, so if I sniff a lot, I do apologise. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. there's definitely something going around, isn't there? Yeah. It's that time of year, isn't it? Without a doubt. So today we're going to chat a bit about last week's podcast where we ha- I had chatted to Rachel Gartland, who's a children's occupational therapist, and she brought up a good few things that I think are worth discussing. But before we get into that, what weird or interesting sensory things have you guys seen this week? Uh, oh, a strange, weird thing, and normally I don't talk about vaccines. Mm-hmm. I saw something on Reddit, which again, I don't normally go on, but Jamie goes on Reddit about kids that weren't vaccinated who were trying to get vaccinated behind their parents' backs. Ooh. I've been hearing so much about this. This is actually what I had as my strange or, you know, interesting thing that we we saw this week because it's been, I've been seeing it so much yeah, it recently. Up. Um, yeah. yeah, and I just thought, it, I thought, oh, how bizarre is this that that they're actually going behind their parents' back instead of being able to sit down and have a conversation with their parents about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess if if it's like that, then you've maybe got parents who are just not open to the idea at all and they feel they can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one because I always think, um, regardless of like people's opinions and views, I am wondering whether bringing um, vaccination up as a topic... Um, in regards to the autistic community, are we doing much good with that? Because, you know, people still think there's a link. A lot of people are not thinking there's a link. Um, But is the fact that we're still talking about it helping us? Because maybe people seeing this are thinking, oh, why are are people talking about this in in regards to autism if they don't know anything about it? And then maybe they're getting the wrong impression. Is this something that we should just let just ignore now and let lie because um the more that we talk about it and the more that we address it is it becoming a worse issue you know i'm wondering whether that is something that we should when i see question again doesn't it it just it just puts doubt in people's mind again doesn't it yeah Yeah. every time you see it and but i when i see the, the stuff about vaccines now i don't automatically think of the link between vaccines and autism anymore good yeah um i just see that some people are, are anti-vax and some people vaccinate, but I never it never crosses my mind that it's because of autism that somebody might not vaccinate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think yeah, I, think it, I think we've moved on from that. I really is, hope we have. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it is interesting because, um, oh, I don't know, my nephews are 13 and I remember oh, 10 years ago or so when they were due their MMR um, that I had heard all the stuff in the news and I went to my mum and my brother and said I think you should be really careful blah 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 and looking back on that now I feel such a fool yeah Um, Joe's 13 mm -hmm. and I remember his and my mum said oh I really think we should look into the separate vaccines I'll pay for them you know whatever and at the time Jamie hadn't been diagnosed 
and we didn't really know much about it. But I was like, well, no, do you know what? I've had these vaccines and I'm fine. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just... It's just it's just crazy in my mind to think where I was on that topic 13 years ago to now. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of what you see in the news can change your your thoughts on it because I think that's what where my mum was probably scaremongered mm-hmm. yeah. well that's a whole nother podcast about the media and scaremongering isn't yeah. it <laughs> definitely yeah. yeah absolutely I think it's yeah. so interesting though to think about just how we perceive things before we became a part of this community like I'm just thinking back now and thinking like before I was diagnosed how I used to think of autism and the, and the spectrum and I'm like oh my gosh like I was so wrong um, and then you you're like where did all of this influence come from was it the media was it my own judgmental thoughts like I, you could totally see why people don't understand our community because even we didn't before we got into it it was just something that it wasn't fully even on our radar and now it's just like looking back you're like how could I think like that you know yeah. for me, for me this, this thing sorry, with, sorry for me this thing with the kids um wanting to be vaccinated and obviously needing parents consent and then not getting it it just made me think about conversations I've had with having children um about getting your child christened and all these kind of things I remember wanting my children christened and Dean was like well let them decide for themselves yeah, um, yeah. and there's, there's a lot of things that we automatically do as parents and maybe we should let our children decide mm. um, yeah. so a lot, a lot of what we choose to do as parents is because our parents chose to do it as parents and, and that's just the way we yeah yeah you know? and I think w- what point do you sit down and have that conversation that you've either chosen something for your child that they don't agree with or yeah. or not done something that they now want mm. do you think that the age that we start listening to children more and and getting children to make their own decisions should be lowered because at that kind of we kind of have quite an older range in terms of you know 16 18 um being like when we can vote when we can start making decisions when we can visit the gp on our own like all of that kind of stuff do you think that should be we should start maybe taking into consideration children's views before that age i think so because i think as we evolve, children are becoming more intelligent. The things that Joy's aware of at 13, I was not aware of at 13. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Although I slightly feel they're still, they're still so little and they're still so immature. So I think, I, th- I think some guidance without forcing them down a path is important. So making sure that when they're making that decision, they've got all sides of the argument and all facts to make that decision. Cause otherwise and children make decisions for make decisions quite often for the wrong reasons because they want to fit in or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think proceed with caution, but in principle, yeah. yes. Yeah, and I have to say that Joe's not a typical thirteen year old. No. Okay. Um. Well, one thing I was thinking of while you guys were saying that on on the media and our perception of the world is um. There's a book that Chris Chris who works for us recommended I read called Factfulness. Um, and I would definitely recommend it to our readers. And it's 10 reasons why everything you think about the world today is wrong. And it's it's quite eye-opening and I would recommend it. So it's things like uh, the percentage of the world that's in poverty. And they get um, he went around and asked a gazillion people what people think. And everyone is so wrong. And the progress that we've made as a, a global community is just way better than we could ever imagine. Worth a read. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's talk about Rachel last week. What did we What did we think? 
Um, it, a lot of what she was saying, I, I really agreed with the fact that I think everything kind of comes back to the sensory processing issues, regardless of what disabilities it is. Yes. It was uh, so eye-opening. I've like, I love sensory stuff. I love um, sort of the work that occupational therapists do. And I learned so much in that one conversation. And it completely changed my whole view of how sensory regulation is actually so linked to executive function and how we're able to do certain tasks. And if you don't have those like sensory building blocks from a young age, how much it can impact on your ability to learn new skills and learn like basic life skills. It, I didn't even link the two before. And now when she was talking about it, I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. I think that um, it's that stuff that prevents people living their lives unless they can find a coping strategy. Yeah. yeah. From a parent's point of view, I think that sensory processing disorder should be diagnosed separately to everything. Mm. Because I totally agree with what Rachel was saying about how it causes problems with the education healthcare plans and the support you get in school. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of the time it is a comorbidity to something else. But there are children out there that just have sensory processing difficulties. And from me knowing how Jamie struggles, I don't think her autism would cause her as many problems as it does if she didn't have sensory processing difficulties. Mm. I think, yeah, I'm like that with me. And I think... Again, it was just, I didn't even really think about it. And before I used to think, oh, um, sensory processing disorder, I was sort of on the fence whether it needed to be diagnosed as a condition or not, or whether that was something that was worth um, fighting for. Um, Because I thought, well, most of the time it comes secondary. And a lot of the times, um, you know, people have other conditions that, um, you know, are diagnosed and sort of that label, the the label of sensory processing disorder kind of falls under that. But when Rachel was talking about the fact that it's often the first thing that people struggle with, and then it consequently leads to struggling with other things, it makes more sense to have it as a diagnosed condition then because it's almost like the foundation of everything. It's the reason why a lot of people struggle with independence and executive function and basic um, or seemingly simple life skills. It's because of it always links back. And then that made more sense then to have it as a, con- as a diagnosed condition then. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't see it happening though. No. no. Which is a, which is a real shame. Cause I, I, I think I definitely think my daughter has SPD without a doubt. Mm. Um, but I don't believe she has autism, although I could be proven wrong. We shall see. Um, so yeah, and I, I just think that it's such a shame that I can't get that for her, because then it, without getting a whole host of other things that might not be anything to do with how she is. Yeah. I think that's the thing, really. I think um, that's the that's sort of where I'm on the fence with it, because I know a lot of people who have sensory processing difficulties. Mm-hmm. don't experience any other kind of um condition or any other kind of difficulties in any other areas and i think all of us to a large degree have something sensory processing related about us um it's just sort of finding that and and if it has a big impact um and well, that's interesting katie so do you think that's where and people hate this when people say everyone's a bit on the spectrum do you think actually that's just a misunderstanding and actually what they're really saying everyone's got a little bit of sensory processing i think that's exactly it because most people who i have had come back at me with oh everyone's a little bit autistic they'll say an example of how they think they're on the spectrum and it's pretty much 99 percent of the time always sensory related 
it's always I hate loud noises or um, I'm sensitive to bright lights or um, all of these things. And I sort of say, oh, well, yeah, that's really common. But how does that impact your life? And if mm-hmm. they say, oh, well, it doesn't, I can still do everything. Then I'm like, oh, well, well, there's the difference, really. Um, you, can, you can have traits that you can live with. And you can have traits that affect your life to a large degree. And it's more commonly people who have traits that affect them to a large degree that end up being diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's probably where the grey area comes in, because I'm, I'm probably quite noise sensitive, but I'm definitely not on the spectrum, whereas it doesn't inhibit me in any way other than it's a slight irritation sometimes. Um, whereas my, my daughter can have proper meltdowns over texture. Mm. You know, to the point where you just can't do things because of the textures. So mm-hmm. it's interesting the difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. It's. I think we need to kind of change the attitude towards it in a lot of respects because people think of sensory processing. If we're calling calling it sensory processing disorder, it sounds very, you know, rigid and you know, a kind of a scary thing, very clinical. And actually, you know, sensory processing difficulties. Yeah. That's you know, oh, I I might have a bit of this, or you know, it. I think our approach to it with with sensory stuff can be a little bit more um, relaxed and a bit more kind of like, oh, I think I have a little bit of this, regardless of other health conditions and lifestyle. I really enjoy talking to everybody to sensory, about sensory things, regardless of whether they're on the spectrum or not, or if they have any other conditions, because it really does, it really can affect us all. And we all yeah. have different... See, I always think about the, the seams in the socks and the tags in the clothes, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who could actually like those? Yeah. So uh, somebody can't bear them and it hurts them. And that's, you know, they've got real sensory processing difficulties. Yeah. But in general, I imagine that seams and tags are quite annoying to everybody. It's just that you can learn to live with it. Yes. You yeah. don't have a problem with it, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That does make sense. Yeah, I think that's right. It's just, it's that degree of how much does this affect your life? Um, can you work with this? Do you have to avoid this completely? Um, and I think that's where the the biggest kind of, I don't want to say separation because, you know, we don't want to further segregate people, but it's sort of, that's where that definitive kind of, you maybe need to look at this in a more serious way compared to, oh, you probably just have some difficulties, but, you know, we all have them. You know, it's that, that difference in lighthearted look at it or a more kind of serious, actually, we need to get this sorted kind of look. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think what we'll do now is we'll take a quick break and we'll be back afterwards and we'll continue on some of the other things that Rachel has brought up. We're going to take a quick break and tell you about this week's offers. We have the Skull and Lanyard offer still running on our website. If you get a green skull and add the code Lanyard to your basket, you'll get a free Chewy Gem Lanyard. That's at www.chewygem.co.uk. Also, go and follow our stories on Instagram and Facebook because we're going to have some special offers running on our page stories. If you need any support, then please feel free to join our Facebook group, the Chewy Gem Sensory Support. Now back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back. So uh, we were chatting before about our uh, review of Rachel's podcast and we were talking about SPD and autism and and the kind of diagnosis around that and the effects on people's lives one of the other things that she mentioned was uh, technology so we're going to go on to talk about that next but before we do what have been your sensory matters this week ladies 
Well, mine's kind of related to what we're going to talk about next. Mm. Uh, Jamie will hate me for this because she hates the Sun newspaper. But mm-hmm. yesterday on my Facebook, the Sun newspaper had a video on there and it was learning to hold a pencil. So, right. Um, and we can talk more about this because of uh, Rachel's podcast. But basically, kids are struggling to hold pencils. And they had this brilliant video where you get a bit of tissue and you fold it over and you put it in between your little finger and ring finger and okay. hold it down so that your your thumb, index finger and middle finger are kind of opening a claw, if that makes any sense. So you've yeah. got to keep hold of the tissue in your, your little fingers so that you can hold the pencil properly. And that forces your hand to close, doesn't it? Yeah, because if you yeah. imagine a lot of, say, five-year-olds, they just kind of hold the pencil with all of their fingers around it and do big circles and stuff, don't they? Yeah. I'm yeah, just doing I'm... that now, actually. <laughs> I bet everybody listening to this is just like, forcing their fingers together now and like oh oh yeah it does make a bit of a claw (laughs) yeah I was like that's such a great way to teach kids how to hold a pencil yeah yeah that is a really clever tip um is it what about you Katie your sensory matter this week similar or yeah I think it was the technology side of things was definitely hearing about it from the podcast and then going and having a look and and seeing really in the community how this is affecting us was was really interesting and and I did a video recently about sort of the advantages of technology in the world of disability versus the disadvantages and like just sort of thinking about you know is it giving us well in my opinion it's giving giving us a lot of independence and from my experience you know technology is really enhancing our lives in lots of ways but is it actually causing um quite a lot of of negatives in terms of um development and executive function for for little ones um i'm still i'm still baffled by that i'm still thinking am i holding a pencil correctly now i'm, I'm questioning everything <laughs> yeah, the thing about the little ones is that technology can be fantastic for everybody mm-hmm. technology has really opened up the world for people with disabilities Mm-hmm. But the whole thing that Rachel talks about, about how kids play these days from an early age, it's meaning that some children are disadvantaged that maybe wouldn't have been 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, yeah. One of my family friends is going through this with her little girl. Her little girl has just turned six and um, is really into all of the iPads and the technology and, and they're trying to find ways of actually creating that to be an educational um, play for her so that she can enjoy the time on technology but it actually is having an educational effect and I, I was talking to her about you know well, how does that make you feel that you're kind of having to integrate technology into your your little girl's life so young and um, my friend was saying well she doesn't want her little girl to be disadvantaged in either way because if you take away technology um, you know it's such a big part of our lives now that you you need that in order to progress and in order to know um, certain things about life in terms of learning because so much learning now is done online and and you have to be computer literate from a young age now um, but she doesn't want to have that be the entire way of learning and the entire way of play so she's trying to find that balance and I really felt for her because it was, it was such a difficult thing for her to do and she was sort of struggling and like am I doing this right is this safe yeah, absolutely. It's 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 fascinating how things have changed, really, and that like most kids are better than me on iPads and phones because that's just the way that they've been brought up, and it's so important for them to to learn those skills. But I guess it, it's it's 
it's easy gratification or fast gratification, isn't it? That that's instantly anyone can do it. So there are other skills potentially being affected in terms of perseverance of a skill, because learning to write and hold a pencil isn't something that you can just do within 30 seconds. It takes lots of practice and time and energy to learn that skill. And I worry that the downside of technology is that we're teaching children no resilience and uh, perseverance because they can make things happen like that um, with technology. Yeah. I think as well that years ago, mothers didn't work as much as mothers work now. Yeah. So if I'd have ha- if I'd have been born earlier and had my kids and I didn't have to work, mm. I would have done a lot more with them than I've been able to do, if that yeah. makes sense. And so as a working mother, to have that technology on hand, it's incredible. Yeah. If you didn't work and you could stay at home and you could get all the messy play out, it's just such a different life today. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And I always feel like as a young adult, uh, when I mean sort of going out in public and I'm on my phone or um, I've got my laptop with me, I always feel like people are looking at me like, oh, there's another young young person so attached to their phone, um, you know, not socialising. And I get really self-conscious by it because I, f- I just feel really judged um, because I feel like that's what, um, some older generations are looking at my generation like, oh, you're so addicted to your, to your phone. Um, you wouldn't have been able to survive back in the day, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I always want to kind of reach out to all those people who probably aren't judging me, but I feel like they are and saying, oh, but I, you know, I'm not actually texting anybody and I'm not connected to, to social media. I'm using this as my map. I'm using this yeah. to get the train times. I'm using this to um, have my shopping list on and it's it's a it's a really big extension of my independence and yeah. I always say to people you know what is wrong with being independence addicted people are like oh you're technology addicted and I'm like I'm I'm not actually I'm, I'm addiction I'm, I'm like independence addicted I'm like I want that to be on my, to be able to live on my own and, and technology is enabling me to to do things on my own and but yeah I always feel a bit judged and that's amazing and I think people do forget like you've just said I'm I'm looking at my map I'm looking at my train times I've got my shopping list people do forget that you can use technology for all of these things and you just need that one piece of technology in your hand to get through the day yeah it's not always about being connected to social media and always having friends like a click away it's it's actually a lot more than that and and it's trying to break down that that stereotype that our generation or any sort of a lot of people nowadays, it's not always about, oh, they need to be constantly connected. They need to be telling Facebook exactly what they ate that day or what they're doing. It's it's actually a tool to help us learn, help us grow and actually get out there and actually be more of a part of society. If I didn't have my phone, I'd probably more be more um, isolated, actually, because I'm actually going out and I'm able to find places and meet people and find clubs and feel a bit more kind of integrated in society because I've got technology and people don't think about it that way no although I think I think like everything it's a balance I think do you guys use the screen time thing where it gives you the report every week on what you've been doing yeah yeah so that that quite often will be a bit of an alarm bell in my head sometimes thinking whoa I I need to put that down a bit more for for whatever reason but I, I use it on my children's devices where I limit their their screen time so it turns off after a certain time of night and 
and I make sure that they have time away from it. Because my worry is, again, at the moment, we've seen a decline in pencil use. Um, my other worry is that we'll see a decline in the ability to communicate with people um, because communication is done through technology and it's done through text and it's done through all those sorts of things. And I want them still to be able to hold a conversation. Um, so I think it's like I, I think all of those things are invaluable and learning how to communicate via technology is an important skill. Um, and using text and all the other methods that are available, but equally not losing. What I don't want is in five years' time, we, we have another conversation like this where it's like children are going to school and they, they can't have a two-way conversation yeah. because they're not used to it because mm. um, they're texting back and forth or whatever. So I think it's like everything in life, it's balance, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And that's got me thinking, actually, and maybe um, Lorraine can, can help me out with this and see what she thinks when it comes to Jamie. But I feel like... Like you said, Jenny, we are worried about children not being able to hold a conversation because so much of it is automated now. And even things just like spelling and grammar, because everything's just automatically corrected for you. Um, but on the other hand, do we find that that's actually helping a lot of autistic people being able to hold conversations because maybe they've spoken to a person before, they've maybe learned something through a conversation that they've had online? You know, mm-hmm. is this. What do you think about this, Lorraine? Do you think that having conversations online has helped Jamie to communicate face-to-face a bit better? Yeah, and I think it's helped her to make friendships face-to-face because if she didn't have that online community and make friends in that way first, I don't think she'd feel confident enough to make friends Mm. in person with somebody. So I think where we had like our little chew crew message going on and she's become friends with Jaden and Rory and Casper and everybody. She's now, I've noticed this year, she's gone to school and she's got real friends in real life, which she didn't have before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain that she's learned a lot through those group messages about how other people feel and how to react in those situations and how to be a friend. Mm. Learning what that friendship means and and what is okay and what isn't okay yeah 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 and I think I think having an online friend is just an extension of all the different types of friends we all have because we all have friends that you go to when you're sad you go to when you want to have a laugh you go to in in various different situations and an online friend is no less valuable than a face-to-face real life friend it's just a different type of friend yeah um yeah interesting Anyway, I could talk about this all day. Um, <laughs> Me too. We'll, we'll, we'll move on and we'll say this week, obviously, we'll ask people every week if they've got anything they want to ask us, they can send it in. So if you're listening to this, then just post any questions for the podcast and let us know what you think of our podcast as well. Um, and we will discuss them in one of our in-between episodes. So the one that we've had this week is... Um, from Naomi Ritchie, who is basically saying, do you ever feel you've got a sensory craving, but you struggle to work out exactly what it is? Discuss. That is a good one. I've, I've definitely had experience with this. Um, very recently, actually, I had this feeling of being really, really restless all the time. And I was like, what is going on? I couldn't figure out if it was to do with my sleep or in terms of something sensory related and I was sort of going back and forth back and forth and then I realized that it was me needing a bit more um what we call vestibular um Mm -hmm. inputs which is a lot of movement and um kind of getting your body out there a little bit more and doing things a little bit more active um so I joined a Zumba class 
and it's helped so much just to have that one hour where I've just been able to literally release all of this restless energy but it took me ages to figure out that that's what my body needed and it was a really Mm -hmm. weird phase of not quite feeling that your body is right and it's all sort of you feel kind of disconnected in a way yeah 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 what about you Lorraine have you experienced this Uh, so I've the last couple of days I've had really bad sensory overload and it's been through noise but what I've found is that I, I know which sense it's affecting but that's not the sense that I've needed to soothe to help if that makes any sense. Ooh, that's good. So I've been really overloaded with noise, um, dogs barking, you know, kids screaming, it's half term. It's just it got me so overwhelmed that there's been times in the last couple of days that I've actually sat and cried. But what I found help was a weighted blanket. Oh. So you would automatically think, oh, put some headphones on, switch off yeah. the noise. Yeah. But actually, the feel of the weight grounding me on the sofa mm-hmm. made me calm down, take some deep breaths, and that really helped interesting that is so interesting yeah because you do think of it that way in such a linear oh noise is too loud put some headphones in or find a quiet space but it's not always as as simple as that yeah I mean in my house you can't find a quiet space yesterday in particular Jamie was noisy Joe was noisy the dogs were barking and there was just nowhere to go and I couldn't tell them to be quiet because they're happy you know it's happy noise too much going into my brain at once so I could have put headphones on, but I just didn't feel that, that was what I needed. Mm. The blanket just made everything better. And how did you figure that? Was it like a trial and error kind of process? Or did you just yeah. sort of like stick a blanket on and you were like, oh, this is what I needed? <laughs> well, I tried TV because I thought I'll take my mind off it. And that just was too much input. Yeah. So I switched the TV off and I was just kind of wandering around the house. And then I saw the blanket and I was like, it does make me feel like I'm being hugged. Yeah. So maybe a hug would have been as, as good but I just wrapped it around me sat down and all of a sudden I just felt pressure being released yeah and it was great so then that the, one of the tips really would be that don't always automatically assume the sense that's been effective that's the one you need to shut off to solve it mm. yeah and actually I had a message yesterday from somebody who says they're not a chewer but would a chewy gem help them and I um, we had a good chat and I was saying that just because you don't chew doesn't mean that chewing won't help you to self-regulate. Yeah, yes. I feel, I'm like, I was like that. I never thought of myself as a chewer. I still don't really think of myself as a chewer. But yeah, I've got all of these chewy gems and I don't think I could be without them anymore. And it's really strange because I never used to chew. I didn't, I wasn't really uh, what we see a lot of in this community, which is, oh, um, I'm chewing through my clothes or I'm chewing on my fingers. I was never like that. And I was just like, oh, I, I might give this a go and see. And it really helped. And it's it's bizarre, really, because you think, oh, you link that, you know, behavior with something that is, oh, I am really noise sensitive or I'm chewing a lot to, OK, what can I do to solve this in terms of headphones or a chewable aid? But actually, you can really find relief and sensory integration and regulation from something that's completely out of your radar and not really what you're expecting. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the other thing is to try things that you don't think are for you. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm doing at the moment because I'm obviously still waiting for my assessment. Mm-hmm. I'm the, the more I wait, the longer I start to tell myself, yeah, you are autistic. 
then I'm starting to try things because I feel more confident to try them now. Yeah. Yeah. So I've started to buy things that I would never have bought before. Okay. And well, like the weighted blanket, yeah. I would never have got a weighted blanket for myself because I just, yeah. I wouldn't know why I would have wanted one. And now all of the things it's helped me with have been amazing. And chewing, I, I again was never a chewer, but I love the tubes. Mm. And they're just, sometimes I can be sat there and it's not a sensory overload. It's um, a brain overload. You know, when you've just got too much going on in your brain. Yeah. yeah. That's when I chew. Mm. I like and that as be, well. Yeah. Really helps my, my brain to release some of that pressure. Yeah. I'm sat here with the Kiki comforter right now, just sort of, oh, nice and texture and like just having something. But I think that's sort of like the the theme of this entire podcast, really. It's always been like, we've been talking a lot about people just exploring things and having the sensory processing difficulties, you know, realizing that that can affect so many different people in so many different ways. And actually just being able to give ourselves the opportunities to try things because people look at these things, they look at comforters, they look at chewable aids, they look at weighted blankets and they immediately put that down to, oh, that's a medical aid that is for people with a certain medical condition. And I think if we can change our thinking of that and actually think, oh, okay, well, these are more mindfulness aids or these can help me with um, relaxation, you know, just how we're thinking about things like aromatherapy and Mm -hmm. meditation, we've sort of moved away from that being um, more medicalized and sort of, you know, thinking of that as being like to fix something. Um, If we start moving in that direction with sensory aids, like I feel like the world of acceptance and that it could really help a lot of people. And I think it would be a lot more, you know, accessible to all of us and we wouldn't feel so um, stigmatized or, or embarrassed by these things. It's, they can actually yeah, help so many people. You've hit the nail right on the head there about it being, it's like a therapeutic thing. Yeah. And I think once you realize that there are things out there that can help with your mindfulness and that's what it is. It's all about calming yourself. Mm feeling happy and centered yeah and there's lots of things out there that you can try Mm. I think it is just changing your your outlook of it because people will experience like a sensory overload or or like what um Naomi was saying with this whole sort of this feeling of needing some sensory relief and then they'll think okay what can I do to fix this and solve it and people think of it as like a fix or like almost in the same way as we think of like medication it's that okay when I'm when I'm in pain I'll take this But actually, it's something that we should be integrating into our lives. You know, all of us should. It's, you know, for relaxation, for calming, for our own kind of mental health and state of mind, you know, as opposed to thinking of it as like a quick fix when things are really bad. It should be something that maybe we're thinking of, actually, I want to do this for myself, for my own enjoyment, for my pleasure, for my for my relaxation. Um, And actually think of it more as like that. How many many people love a pyjama day? Oh, yes. You know, just there's little things and you can start by doing those little things. Brilliant. So I think the message from this podcast is go and explore your senses, go and try out lots of different tools um, and and see what works for you and and make it part of your routine, part of your habit, just like someone might go to a Zumba class or a yoga class, then having half an hour with your weighted blanket might just be what you need. Definitely. I'm thinking about signing up for Zumba now. Yeah. (laughs) 
Brilliant. Well, as ever, it's been really interesting talking to you. I have enjoyed that. I think hopefully lots of people get loads from it. And please do send us in your questions this week and we will um, cover question that is sent in we'll pick one not next week because it's another person next week and then when Katie Lorraine and I are together the week after we shall discuss then thanks ladies that's been fun thank you well that's it for this week and thank you once again for listening we really do appreciate it if you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds then go and give us a five-star review on itunes it really helps other people find our content and we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews so go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on itunes to help others find us also so that you never never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available why not hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss us finally if you're not already a member of our fantastic facebook support group i suggest you go join it we'd love to see you in there there's loads of fantastic chat lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you so go and search on facebook for the chewy gem sensory support group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes speak to you then bye